Jesus asked, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? At that very time there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Are those eighteen who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more worse offenders than all the others in Jerusalem at that time? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year. This is the word of the Lord. When Rabbi Harold Kushner and his wife were young adults, they had a three-year-old son. They decided that this little boy was not walking as well as some others his age, whom they saw in preschool at the synagogue, and so they took him to a physician. Tests were run, and the conclusion was that he had a degenerative disease that would take his life within 10 years. He might live to be 11, 12, or 13, but nothing they could do would prevent his death. That diagnosis was correct. The little boy died. Now, the rabbi was also dealing with a lot of his congregants who were having similar heartbreaking experiences. So he wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. But in this text today, Luke tells us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus already knew that bad things happen to good people. One day, a group had run up to him telling him about bad things happening to very good people while they were at temple in Jerusalem. I have four observations here. Number one, sometimes bad things happen to us because we do bad things or at least very foolish things. January 14, a young woman was driving back to college. It was a four-hour drive. She was driving alone. Her parents said she was very responsible. In high school, she was an honor student. She was a member of a very good uh, female softball team. The team had done really well. And there were several colleges, universities that wanted her to come. She chose one four hours away from her home. Christmas break, New Year's break, over, time for the spring semester to get underway. She drove back to the college. She texted, I really must stop this. I know it's not safe. Just as her car crashed into the rear end of an 18-wheel truck on the turnpike, Highway Patrol officials believe she was driving more than 80 miles an hour. And when they checked her telephone records, they discovered that she had sent a text message an average of every 60 seconds for four hours. She died, of course. 
sometimes bad things happen to us because we do bad or at least very foolish things. Number two, sometimes bad things happen to us because there's some really bad people in the world and innocent people are often the victims. When Dr. Walter Brueggemann was coming, we knew it was going to be a very busy four days with him. I was checking his flight information on our computer at home that Saturday night. I knew he'd accepted an engagement after he'd accepted ours to speak in Portland, Oregon, and that he was going to have to fly from Portland into Dallas-Fort Worth and then on up to Tulsa that Saturday evening. I checked the mail, ten day, uh, the uh, weather, 10 days ahead, 9 days, 8 days. What's the weather going to be in Dallas-Fort Worth this time of year? Not a cloud in the sky. Nonetheless, his flight was 45 minutes late getting into Tulsa Airport. I picked him up, drove him to the hotel. Everything was in order. I told him I'd pick him up 10 minutes before 8 the next morning. I did that. He did a great job at 8.30. He taught Sunday school. He did a great job at 11. The committee and I, my family, took him to lunch uh, uh, immediately following, got him back to the hotel. Uh, he did a great job that night. Monday morning, I'm up, I'm shaving, I'm watching a television program early morning in the mirror as I shave. Got a little set like this in the bathroom. See if the world's blown up while I was asleep. Well, something terrible had happened in a little town called Chardon, Ohio, a 17-year-old boy had suddenly walked into the dining room at the high school and started shooting at the students. He hit five of them, three died. I wondered if that was close to Cincinnati where Dr. Brueggemann lives. When I got to the church, I looked up Chardon, Ohio it's a little town completely across the state from Cincinnati, not close at all. It has just over 5,000 people. That's the size of my hometown. High school, same size the one I attended. A little over 100 in the senior class. There were 104 in mine. And this 17-year-old named A.J. Lane had walked into the cafeteria that morning and started shooting students. He shot five, and he killed three. That could have happened to me. That could have happened to one of our sons. It could happen to one of our grandchildren just because somebody does an unconscionable thing, that it doesn't matter if somebody else had somebody's girlfriend. It's unconscionable to walk into a high school and start shooting students with a gun. But it happened. Number three, sometimes bad things happen to us just because we happen to be at a certain time and place, and it turns out to be the wrong time and place. February 3rd. I got up early that Friday morning and drove to Oklahoma City. Uh, we live just right off the creek bypass, so I got on the creek bypass. At first, it's 65 miles an hour, but when you cross Highway 75, it becomes 75 miles an hour speed limit. And I set my cruise control on 75, and I went to St. Luke's Church in Oklahoma City. I've done this so many times, I have it down. If you set that cruise control on 75, you can do 17 miles every 15 minutes. I check it as I go. Gail will tell you, I check it. 
When I'm 17 miles down the road, I'm supposed to be 15 minutes. When I'm 34 miles, I'm 30 minutes. It's 102 miles. That divides perfectly. One hour and a half. And an hour and a half later, I'm sitting at St. Luke's Church. I went in to meet with other delegates who've been chosen to represent Oklahoma in that election of bishops this coming July. And we had a meeting as a delegation. We talked about the first person we were about to interview. And then we spent an hour interviewing that candidate. And then we had some reflection time with each other about what we felt we had heard and seen. And then we talked about the next one who was coming in and then brought that person in. We interviewed for an hour and then we shared thoughts after the person was out of the room. And we had lunch and we did that again all afternoon until shortly after dark. And I got in my car and got on the Turner Turnpike and set the cruise control on 75 miles an hour. And every 17 miles, I'd gone 15 minutes and I got home. A little later, I brushed my teeth and went to bed. And the next morning, my alarm went off. It's still dark. I got up and got myself dressed and got on the creek bypass and the Turner Turnpike. And I went back to St. Luke's and we interviewed Episcopal candidates, including Cynthia Harvey, on past lunch into the afternoon. I got on the, on the uh, Turner Turnpike and set my cruise control. I picked up Gail. We went to see our Josh play basketball. We got home. I turned on the news. And someone had gotten onto the Turner Turnpike going the wrong direction, 75 miles an hour, and hit another car going the right direction, doing 75 miles an hour. Guess what happened? I had four chances in 30 hours it could have been me. And the chances were good that it would not be. Not everybody, thousands of us, had been up and down the Turner Turnpike. I'm simply saying sometimes it is one of us. It is somebody we know and love and care about very much. The people in Jesus' time was concerned. Some of our own here from Galilee, where you and we grew up, they went down to Jerusalem. They're offering sacrifices at the temple. And suddenly Pontius Pilate sends in this bunch of Romans and they just kill them. Jesus said, repent. Turn back to your creator. Then he said, didn't you hear about those folks who were in Jerusalem when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? We've been to the Pool of Siloam. We were there just last February. 14 months ago, we were there again at the Pool of Siloam. There was a tower on the ancient wall there right near the pool, and for some reason, something structural didn't let fell down. Fell on a bunch of innocent people who were there worshiping. Killed them. Again, he said, repent. Could happen to you any time. Which brings me to number four. The superintendent of the schools in Chardon, Illinois, uh, Ohio, had an assembly. They had counselors there to help any students that needed special time. But families were invited to come. This little community was trying to pull itself together. And you know what the superintendent said? Best advice he had for them. If you haven't hugged your kid in the last couple of days, I mean, really hugged, do it now. Jesus is saying, in Dr. Brueggemann's words, 
Ah, don't be anxious. These things do happen. They do happen. But what are you supposed to be doing? Turning, returning toward God and bearing fruit. Let me tell you a story. One time a fellow had a fig tree growing out in the middle of his vineyard. And every time he'd go out there, he'd check that fig tree. No fruit, no fruit. Three years, finally he said to the gardener, cut that thing up. Notice what it says. It's wasting good soil. We need a tree that'll bear fruit. Dr. Brandon Scott, when he was here, talked about that fig tree, and he said, so what is the advice to the gardener? Just keep on manuring and hoping. Keep on manuring and hoping. And the owner gives one more year. This past week, Tulsa World had a nice article about David Cook. <clears throat> David Cook has taught drama and theatrical arts at University of Tulsa all these years, and now he's retiring. Always pay close attention to what people say when they know they're dying. I pay close attention to what people say when they're retiring. When they put in all these years at some job, what's the last thing he or she wants to say? David Cook was talking about American theater, American drama, and he said, I'm convinced the greatest play ever written in our country was Thornton Wilder's Our Town. There have been hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. He said, our town, that's the best we Americans have produced. Gail and I have seen it several times. Probably you have too. At the time Thornton Wilder wrote this play, it's been almost 100 years ago, it was revolutionary what he did. There were no fancy props. It was a ladder on a bare stage. A fellow walks out, says he's the stage manager. Some have said through the years, well, that's God, of course. Right? Just calls it stage manager. Stage manager starts explaining to the audience, welcome to our town. This is Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, little village just across the line from Massachusetts. Things are pretty simple here in Grover's Corners. We have one large part of our little town, Polish, Roman Catholics. All the rest of us are Protestants, he said. Just this morning, doctor's been delivering twin babies over in the Polish section of town. Babies seem to be doing fine. He's been up long hours of the night getting those babies birthed. Now he's home having breakfast with his family. But when the family drinks coffee, it's from imaginary cups. When they eat, it's with imaginary knives and forks. You have to stay tuned to what's going on here. That first act is about birthing. About birthing. About new babies coming into this little town of Grover's Corn. Second act's about marriage. You know, one of those little girls in the first act, one of the little boys in the first act, they've all grown up now, George and Emily, and they're getting married. Whole little town's excited. A marriage, a wedding, wonderful. And it shows you some of the things going on in Grover's Corner. As time has passed, stage manager tells you instead of horse and buggies, now they have some Ford automobiles in town. Curtain goes down, third act. You see chairs in a row, another row. And you're told this is the cemetery out on the hill. And you look, and there's Emily. Just got married in the last act. It's Emily. She's sitting in a chair in the cemetery. 
mean, we're told she and George had a baby. Everything went wonderfully well. Two years later, they had another baby, and Emily died giving birth to that child. The doctor who was delivering those twins in the first act, he's sitting in one of those chairs in the cemetery as well. And finally, little Emily says, well, I want to go home. I don't want to be out here. I want to go home again. No, 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 you shouldn't do that. She asked stage manager, why can't I go home? Just one day. I'd just like to go home one day. And the stage manager says, okay, let's pick one of the best ones. How about 12th birthday? And Emily goes home. She can see her family. They can't really see her. And it's such a wonderful day, turning 12, around people who love you, that finally she cries out to the stage manager, I, I can't stand this. I can't stand this. Does anybody ever understand how important it is that you live every moment while you're still living? I mean, really, really live every moment? And the stage manager says, well, the saints and poets, maybe some, but not many. And then the stage manager looks at his watch and says, well, it's 11 o'clock. Most of the folks in Grover's Corners have gone to bed. I hope you sleep well, too. And the curtain goes down. I hope you sleep well. I hope you wake up well. And I hope you know how important every moment.